It's Gabriel. It's Bailey. And this is CYMK. <laughs> Welcome to CYMK Podcast. Today we're here with... I am Dana Younger. Welcome. Welcome. Dana Younger is here as part of the Peacemakers uh, exhibit that we will have in Gallery Verde starting July 20th through October 8th. And you're here in collaboration with your wife, Felice House. That's correct. Awesome. All righty. Okay, so what kind of sculptures do you do? I am a sculptor. I work in a lot of different um, mediums. Um, I work in um, wood and metal and resin. Um, and I also use a lot of um, digital fabrication processes. Um, so most of the things that I do pass into and out of the computer at some point. Your work and your sculptures, they're more of like, how, how would you describe them? Um. So my work is representational, um, you know, in as much as it looks like uh, something, um, an identifiable thing. Um, and I, I like to work in a lot of different themes, um, but the, uh, the two main themes that are um, on exhibit here um, are there's a Western-themed show um, and there is a nature-themed show. The Western-themed show is um, more political in nature. It's more um, um, incisive um, and uh, um, it's a little more commentary. Um, looking at the myths and stereotypes of the Western genre um, and also the actual West history of the West um, and asking the audience to really take another look at, uh, at some of the assumptions that we have um, mm -hmm. about that genre. And then the other body of work um, is more about caring. Um, it's more about taking a loving look at um, parts and pieces of nature that might otherwise not, um, you know, be held up. Um, so looking at um, birds and, and roots and rocks and things mm -hmm. like that and taking those um, through my lens, which is a contemporary lens using digital media um, and transmuting them into another material. That's really awesome. Yeah, that is really cool. I know we specifically really connected with your Lone Ranger series. Oh, uh, we were series. reading about that on your website earlier. Um, you take these political or these iconic historical figures and you kind of turn them into Lone Rangers. And, uh, and it's, it's really actually a great commentary on like Western expansion and like the, the American mythology that, you know, you talk about that, do we really know what happened in American history? And, you know, is, is it really what is written down here? Uh, so if you could talk a little bit about that series. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for your uh, insightful viewing of those pieces. Um, you know, and I, I try not to be pejorative. Um, you know, I don't really, I, I don't want to tell people what to think. Um, I'm hoping to just ask people. And that's one of the reasons why I like the Lone Ranger um, idea because it's a mask, right? And the mask can go either way. The mask can be good or evil. Um, I kind of see it as like the <clears throat> satire, but it's supposed to be good, but like they're bad people. Vigilante-ish, you know? Yeah. Well, right. I mean, it's um, the period of westward expansion and manifest destiny was, um, you know, highly problematic from a cost standpoint, mm -hmm. right? The cost to our natural and cultural resources 
um, you know, of the Americas was tremendous. Um, and also we wouldn't be here, right. Um, if it weren't for that period yeah. of expansion. And so we have to hold these things in the balance and, um, you know, and, and, own our mistakes, I think, um, and also, you know, be grateful for what we do have. Uh, it's it's a complicated, it was a complicated period of time. Mm -hmm. um, and the motivations, I don't think we can fully grasp what, you know, what the motivations were. Um, but there were some highly problematic um, decisions that were made that, uh, you know, cascaded things um, along. Um, and that's kind of what I'm, what I'm commenting on. And the portraits are the classic um, presidential portraits. Um, you know, they should be recognizable. At least Andrew Jackson and uh, Martin Van Buren mm -hmm. should be recognized. You can always recognize Martin Van Buren because of his big lamb chops. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but you know, they, they, I wanted to take these iconic um, recognizable portraits and just do something interesting with them. I love bas-relief. Um, bas-relief is a, a medium that um, doesn't get a lot of play, I think, um, these days. It's a complicated medium for sculpture and what if you don't know what bas-relief is, is, um, bas-relief is sculpture that's flat on the back so it's basically oh. like uh like your coin like your quarter and the portrait of george washington that's on the quarter is bas-relief um and so it can do many wonderful things um and uh it's a bit more like drawing see sculpture uh representational sculpture differs from um, drawing and painting in that it is not traditionally an illusion, right? What you're trying to do is actually just make the thing exist in three-dimensional space. <laughs> yes. Um, where painting and drawing is more of creating an illusion of depth. Um, well, what bas-relief does is somewhere in between, which is one of the reasons why I love it. Because all of the relationships between the planes of a head, for example, are the same. They're just compressed. And so the distance between my nose and my cheekbone in three quarter uh, in the round um, is has a relationship to the distance between my nose and my other cheekbone. And in bas relief, you just take those relationships and squish them down um, and everything else needs to stay in the same plane. And so when the shadows are cast, um, it looks fully three-dimensional. Um, and that's really the magic of bas-relief. And that's what I'm trying to achieve oh with goodness. those pieces. And I think you do it very well, oh, <laughs> might I add. <laughs> <laughs> one of your one of the series that I really liked was the, the guns the, with the pink ones. Do you want to talk about those? Yes, yes. I called those the peacemakers. Yes, okay. So um, sure. And there's a reason. And the, the, the pink ones are not actually on display. Mm -hmm. um, but there is one of the big, the big wooden peacemaker is in the window mm -hmm. uh, in Gallery Verde, and I think uh, Holtz Court in the window fairly mm -hmm. well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's nice in there. <laughs> um, so the peacemaker um, was a very important gun in westward expansion. It's the name of it's what they called the gun, mm -hmm. um, and it was the first. Uh, I'll probably get this wrong, and some gun enthusiast can correct me. <laughs> um, but it was the first really. Um, mass-produced, accessible revolver, multiple shooting handgun. Um, and so it made a person on horseback that could fire six bullets um, was a significantly more deadly weapon than a person on horseback with 
um, you know, bow and arrow um, or a rifle that might only shoot a, a few rounds. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was a transformative weapon um, in westward expansion. Um, and so obviously, I don't really have to go into the cost associated with a transformative weapon. Um, but, um, but I wanted to take some of the power out of that, or at least um, get people to sort of question um, the power of it as a as a symbol of masculinity. But also, um, I believe that peacemaker is a bit of a misnomer, right? Um, because pe well, it's the peacemaker is often um, a label that is used in association with great power, mm -hmm. right? The peacemaker is not a peacemaker because it's opening their your hand and inviting people to the table. Mm -hmm. um, it's um, a peace dictated by great power. Right. Um, and so that was the idea with that piece um, was to um, take some of the turgidity out of it. Um, and so is that why they kind of droop a little bit? Yeah, like they're them? placid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, I found it very amusing. Um, <laughs> I also do. <laughs> I, I really like those. Yeah. I like those. Reasons. Yeah. We, we had our own reasons to think of why you, uh, you know, designed that series the way you did, but we both got great joy out of seeing just like this powerful, like you said, this incredibly powerful weapon, but it's just useless and droopy and silly mm -hmm. and a little little silly so <laughs> a little silly. it's a little silly but well, in a great great way <laughs> yeah i had my own kind of like interpretation of it or i was just like okay it's a gun and then guns have been like masculinized or like this big weapon for men and then talking about westerns and then to paint it like this now societal color pink at the end and then i was like oh it's mm -hmm. just like yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I like this very so but I saw them. Are they gonna go somewhere else or was they just not fit with the, the there's some life-sized ones. There's the big one um that's made out of wood, and then there's a series of small ones, um, and there just wasn't room mm -hmm. for them. Um and so they got they got edited out of this oh, put them in the windseal, put them somewhere. <laughs> People need to see. <laughs> yeah, no, the show's called The Peacemakers, but you know, you do have the big focus point in the window and then and then the large table and the, the centerpiece do you want to talk about what was the name of the, uh, that piece is called the feast. do you want to tell us about that piece yeah well it's a um it's a feast of western power right um and there's the bison skulls um I, we all probably are all familiar with the you know iconic images after the great bison slaughter when you know trains moved through the west uh, and people just would ride through the ride through the west with you know giant uh, buffalo guns mm -hmm. and just kill bison from the train. Mm -hmm. um, and then there were those huge stacks of skulls um, that you can see in photos, historic photos. And, um, and I found those photos just so incredibly sad and, um, and powerful. Um, and so I wanted to, you know, I just wanted to do something with that. Um, and I thought, well, gosh, you know, what, what, like, what a, what a unfulfilling feast of power that was, you know, to yeah, consume yeah. all of those bison um, without 
getting any sustenance mm -hmm. from it. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, I, what if I put these on a table? And then I started adding some other symbols of power. So there are more guns, there's plaster peacemakers that are not droopy, that are all around the table. And there's a big rope and uh, the rope obviously carries a lot of, um, you know, a lot of symbolism. Um, and, um, and so it's, it's a feast of Western power. And you'll notice there is, um, there's one chair that's very big and has a seat. Um, and that is the, um, the chair of access to power. And then the other chairs are small and they have no seat and you couldn't possibly get in them. They're impossibly narrow. Um, and that is really for me about the, uh, disingenuous, um, you know, sort of like, well, this is for you too. Um, because it's not for everybody, right? Um, the westward expansion was not for everybody. Um, so that that's kind of where it is for me. That piece is really about power and who gets access to it and who doesn't get access I to really it. I like that. Beautiful. Well, I, don't like, I, I was like, oh, it's actually really beautiful. <laughs> beautiful like interpretation. Yeah, beautiful interpretation. Yeah, of the artwork. Yeah, and in Felice was saying that like people come into the show, like for example, one of these shows that we have up here and they have different points of entry for interest. So if you love Western art, you're here for the Western art. Or if you are like us and you went on your website and read about <laughs> your artist statement and connect with the message really well, we're big fans of the pieces now that we know what they mean and what they symbolize, even if we wouldn't have normally been interested in Western art or anything like that. So, um, the Western genre, has that been an inspiration for you for the majority of your career as an artist? Or was that kind of influenced by Felice, maybe a little? Um, you know, definitely influenced by Felice. Um, she started with this idea um, back in probably 2012 of taking, um, you know, scenes from classic Western movies and gender flipping uh, women into the lead roles. And so we decided to start showing work together um, and we had a lot of great conversations and, you know, and we watched Western movies mm -hmm. um, and and you're absolutely right. And it's really important to us to, we, we try to think about these access points because you know, I mean, somebody might go up to the feast and they might have a wholly, wholly different uh, interpretation of it or no interpretation at all. They might just think like, ah, oh, this is this is beautiful. You know, look at this beautiful thing. And that's totally valid. Uh, and I think having for us, for Felice and I, having multiple access points to artworks is really important. Whether you're drawing people in with humor or you're drawing them in with texture or translucency or beauty um, or size or color or whatever it is, um, you know, you want to draw your audience in. And once you've drawn them in, then they're more likely to sit and stay and think and maybe have a thought or maybe have a feeling. Um, and really that's the, you know, that's the goal is to inspire and to give people, uh, you know, some thoughts and feelings and, and have them take them out into the world. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Do you, uh, ever focus on any sculptures that aren't Western themed or? I had seen on the website that you had in your earlier work, they were just figures and that were like metal. And I thought it was really interesting how some of them were wood, some of them were metal and like that juxtaposition because when I think of wood and especially in your nature um exhibit was that um that nature's really like or no wood's really organic and then that's my associate organic with like humanity and then humans and like the human body so don't talk about that series 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. I love the Western uh, genre, but I am not a Western artist. Um, I'm inspired by many things. Um, and uh, yes, the body of work that's in the Coop Gallery um, is, uh, you know, like I said, it's more about um, an art of caring um, and looking at nature um, as a as a treasure, um, even down to its little little stones and pebbles. Um, and so, and seeing those for me, seeing those things through a contemporary digital lens, um, and you know, what that can do, this sort of distancing that can allow us to make assessments about, you know, how beautiful is this six inch wide slice of, of the earth that I would never think about, except that it holds my foot up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I get inspired by a lot of different things. Um, and you mentioned the figure and I do, I love the figure. Um, for me as an artist, the figure, um, holds the, uh, it's, a. Uh, it's like about the pursuit of mastery. Um, it's very difficult, right? Um, it's what to, all the old masters have yeah, done for decades and eons. It's <laughs> so, yes. And it's so freaking hard um, yeah. to make a good figure. Um, and so it really holds my interest um, it, because I feel like it is a lifelong pursuit um, to get better and better and understand the figure and be able to put it in different poses and work. Yes. Work from life, but also work from imagination. Um, and I think that there is a way in which, um, the figure and the gestures, um, and emotional quality of the figure can connect with audiences in ways that other things uh, can't. Um, and so that's a, that's a long-term pursuit of mine. Um, and there's only really like a few figurative pieces that I have in this uh, show, the presidents and the double cowboy. Um, but, um, but I do that kind of work all the time. Okay. So the pieces in the coop aren't inherently inspired by Western culture, but they do lend well to the, the theme simply because they're nature inspired. Yep. And they are Western. Uh, right, in, right. yes. In as much as they are, uh, nature of the West. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of desert, uh, desert scenes and yes, desert yes. plants and uh, things. I think so the cactuses are really beautiful. So there's, I saw a purple one. I don't remember if it was in there. Or in there. Oh yeah, there's a yeah, that's an uh Aputina. The um yeah, it's a what's it called? It's a it's a it's a prickly pear. It's a certain kind of prickly pear that turns purple. Um and they're really beautiful. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen them around and about. No. No? Oh, okay. Yeah, if you go out further west than we are currently, um, you will definitely see them. Um well the way that you present just like the simple imagery of a cactus, it it does add that extra bit of emotion to it because you know you take a picture of a cactus out in my backyard and it's <laughs> kind of boring but it, it, you have presented them beautifully and in a way that it just has an emotion to it it has like something I connect with and I don't really know what it is yet but it's just something like I want to know more about I feel this cactus or whatever <laughs> it is the sculpture whatever it is Good, I like the that. wasp's nest or the coyote skull they're, they're I know, the skulls and then with the cacti behind them makes makes me sad yeah but then yeah. I I remember that it's it's not it's just a sculpture it's not like the actual skull because I got really sad looking at it for a second I'm like, oh. it's wood it's fine <laughs> it's not actually a dead little little rodent animal but that's great. Uh, well, I'm glad I gave you a feeling. I'm sorry it's a sad yeah, feeling, but no, it's not um, well, I mean, it, it is sad though too because I think for me there's um, there's a piece about 
not sure. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I make things and I'm just like, I don't know what, quite what I did there. I'm going to have to step back and think <laughs> about it. Um, but there's a piece about, I call them all the pieces in the, um, in the trailheads show. Um, I call them all specimens. Um, and there's something about like impending loss for me. Um, and like, gosh, I've, you know, now I've collected this. And so I have it and either it's a loss in as much as I will never be back to that spot on earth again to see this thing again. Um, but also I think we all feel maybe not all, but many of us feel like our world is changing really rapidly. And, um, and, uh, you know, with things changing so rapidly, who knows if this, you know, this cactus will, still be there um you know or these kinds of animals may not be who you know who knows so there's something to me about like collecting them and preserving them through this digital lens but still in a natural material um so that it has that warmth um to it um yeah and i have to say i i really love the imagery of the skulls or like depiction of of death or loss or something like that because even though you know the the emotion, the soul is gone from whatever it is that left us. They leave behind something that we can keep, you know, and, and it, it completely represents that they're gone. <laughs> it's not even like, remember they were here. It was this, this coyote skull that I collected or this cow skull. Like you see the cow skulls everywhere here in Texas. And it, yeah, it's, I, I love that imagery. I also use that in my artwork. So I, I have to say it doesn't make me sad, but I, I really like it. <laughs> Gabriel. <laughs> you have to call me. No, not like crying sad. Just like, Oh, it died. That's how I feel. But yeah. I also really love taxidermy. That is actually sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I noticed uh, you. <laughs> Sorry. No, go on. Cut that out. Editor, cut that out. <clears throat> uh, in, in your artist statements and in, in this conversation, you've been talking about um, capturing through a digital lens. So do you physically go out to the field and take a picture of the, the coyote skull or the, the thing you want to capture in a sculpture with a camera or you take a photo yourself and turn that into your piece of art? T talk me through that process. You know, it, it works many different ways. Um, and uh, so I think of the, for me, um, putting things into and getting them out of the computer. There are many, many steps in the process. And what I love about it is that I can put them together in so many different configurations that they're like sentences, right? It's like, oh, I, you know, here's a, here's a thing that I found um, and I, and I scanned it and then I put it in the computer and I manipulated it in the computer and then I got it out of the computer through this process. And then I did something else to it. And maybe I I put it back in the computer and got it out again in some other process. Um, and so it really is a, it's like, it's like wordplay for me. Maybe I'm sculpting things and putting them into the computer. Um, maybe I'm finding things in the computer and taking them out of the computer. I don't know. There's just, um, it's just like a fun game for me to like it's put things in and take them out and yeah. And what happens to them. And every time I put something in the computer and take it back out again, there's residue, whether it's residue from my hand or digital residue or um, process fabrication residue. There's all this sort of residue that accumulates, um, and that's part of the story of that piece going into and out of the computer. And I think that for me, that's um, that is representative of us now. 
right? Like humanity now, we are constantly going into and coming out of the computer. Leaving uh, residue. Leaving residue wherever we go and on us. And, you know, um, and so that's my way of looking from a contemporary lens is to look through this process of things going into and out of the computer because that's us now and i don't think any very few of us are not having that experience you know right right that's it's such an interesting thing to hear about your process with your you know work on the computer because you know typical traditional sculpture probably didn't have a lot of the computer's help or anything like that but so I, I am curious, talk me through how you make a sculpture. You could even just pick one as an example, because I'd love to hear about physically how you make these these sculptures. Yeah, sure. Um, so like um, there's a wasp's nest mm-hmm. over there. Um, <clears throat> and so I found a wasp's nest on the ground and I thought, oh, my gosh, it's so beautiful right and it's you know it's a little bit repugnant it's a wasp's nest and people have feelings about wasps but i i thought like gosh this is like this incredible thing that these these critters made you know um and so i took my this wasp's nest and i was like okay i'm gonna get it in the computer so i have to spray paint it uh with flat uh, gray spray paint spray paint the thing and then i scanned it um, with my structured light scanner so this is a scanner that uses what's called structured light and it projects light onto an object and then it's got two cameras and the cameras read the light that reflects back Um, and so um, that process takes a while and it basically is like you know taking it's like taking pictures but they're three-dimensional pictures and then the software stitches all of those three-dimensional pictures together into one thing and then it has to be gray um well when i spray paint it basically the the actual wasp's nest was is like paper and so light passes through it Mm. um and the so the scanning doesn't work well on things that light passes through or things that light bounce off of your jumpsuit would scan beautifully because it's light colored and matte um your uh top would scan okay but it's a little bit dark but your name tag would not scan well at all shiny because it's reflective um and so i use it's it's primer i just use some some gray automotive primer because that's what i had if i'd had white i would have used white but it um so i spray it um so you have this the now you have this three-dimensional object in the computer uh, and it needs to be made watertight so um, i use some software and basically that like you know kind of like fills in all the little any little holes that are in it and makes it a watertight thing once it's watertight then you can do things with it um okay so then uh, like watertight like it doesn't miss any spots yes exactly so basically they call it watertight um and that's a step in the digital fabrication process that's essential for getting things back out did you go to school for for art and digital or did you just go to school for art no i went to school for theater oh nice oh yeah okay yeah i have a degree in theater um and theater is one of those great things because it uses so many different mediums you know you you can you need writers and you need managers and you need uh, prop makers and you need costumers and so going to theater school means you learn how to sew and you learn how to make masks and you learn how to do all these different things and that's really kind of how i live my life is 
using all of those skills. Um, so sorry, that was a that was a tangent. Um, <laughs> um, so we were talking about the wasp's nest and now it's watertight. And so then I take it into some software called ZBrush. And ZBrush is this brilliant software that's like a clay modeler for the computer. Maybe you've heard of it, but it's incredible. Um, you can you just get you can start with a, a ball and you can push, pull, gouge, pinch, squeeze, stretch, whatever you need to do to it. It's incredible. Um, and I can then take a mesh that I've scanned and bring it into ZBrush and do all of those things to it as well. Um, so I brought the wasp's nest into ZBrush. Um, and then I started and then then I went out to my wood pile and I looked and I found a really lovely piece of pecan wood um, that came from a company in Austin called Harvest Lumber. And this uh, lumber yard harvests urban timber. Um, so all their wood comes from Austin. Um, and so you just get whatever they're, you know, whatever they happens whatever somebody's tree died or they cut it down or I don't know, they just have these things. Um, so this piece of pecan came from Austin, which I love. Um, and, um, and so I had this lovely piece of pecan. And so what I did is then I scanned that piece of pecan because it had bark, it had some live edge on it. And I wanted to include that in the sculpture. So I've scanned my piece of wood and I've scanned my wasp's nest and then I bring them both into ZBrush and I start manipulating not the block of wood because I need that to be what it is but I start manipulating the wasp's nest to fit how I want inside of the block of wood and I can position it and move it and get it in there so that the live edge of the bark is preserved. Um, and so then I take um, that wasp's nest that I've positioned the way I want inside my block of wood and I move it over to another piece of software called Aspire. And Aspire is what we call, is this too, am I going? No, no, I'm so okay. invested. <laughs> I know, I'm listening. Okay, Aspire is what we call toolpathing software. So toolpathing software is what drives the computer numeric controlled router. So this is all gonna get output on what we call a CNC machine. This is a spinning bit that moves in X, Y, and Z. And it's a dumb robot. It so doesn't like think for itself. It, yeah, it's a router bit. So it's that. like a it's like a shaft with blades on the end of it. I have different bits. Yeah, I have different sure. bits that I can that I can use. But it's like my finger. If my finger was very sharp and spinning at ten thousand RPMs, <laughs> okay, yeah. it's not. So you don't have to be scared. Um, Good to know. <laughs> um, so this software um, is a tool that allows you to visually um, create a code that will drive the machine. So the, basically this software um, transmutes from your scanned visualization to lines of code that are X, Y, and Z, like hundreds of thousands of lines. All it is is X, Y, and Z. It's called G-code. Uh, and that is what the machine then uses to know where to go. Without that software, the machine just sits there. Um, so I use Aspire then to create this G-code, which I send then over to my CNC machine. Um, and I put my block of wood down um, and I've got my, the toolpath is created um, so that it will mill that wasp's nest exactly where I want it 
inside of this piece of wood. So then I use a series of different bits. Um, I have to do what's called a roughing pass. So a roughing pass is a flat end mill that's a half inch in diameter and it's got very sharp blades on it and it goes through and cuts away everything you don't want. This is a reductive process where you start with a block and move away everything you don't want. Um, and so the roughing pass makes it look kind of like topography. It's like stepped. And if you look in there, there's a couple of pieces that have some evidence of that stepping on them still. Um, and then once that's done, then I go through with um, a one millimeter ball end tapered mill. So this is a sharp tapered mill looks like a very long skinny pencil and the tip of it is one millimeter in diameter uh, and then it, that goes through and does all of the detail milling um, and then um, then I hand sand and finish um, and that, that's the piece. Does it, wow. Does it do like X, Y, and Z all at once or do you do X first and then you do Y and then you do Z? No, the way it works is the, mach the machine has got what's called a gantry. So imagine this table here. Imagine there's a bridge on this table that goes up and over and down on the other side. And then there's a head that has the motor that spins, the router. And that head moves back and forth on this gantry. And then the whole gantry moves up and down the table. And then the head also moves up and down. So up and down is Z, the long distance on the table is Y, and the head moving back and forth on the gantry is X. And these lines of code are positions in space. Um, and so it's like very, it's uh uses what's called micro steppers. So each one of these positions in space is very, very close to the next position in space. So you might see the machine go, like that, right? It might start over here and it might go and move in this big diagonal move and go over that way. But that is, um, you know, a thousand lines of code. Mm -hmm. There's a thousand oh points goodness. that make that curve. Mm -hmm. And there, each one is a position in space, X, Y, and Z at the same time. Does that make sense? What an absolutely incredible process. Did you, like, how did you start doing this? Or like, did you start sculpting with a chisel and a hammer and then you you just slowly migrated to using the technology that you had or? Uh, I've always been interested in technology um, and I've always been interested in, you know, in making things. Um, I lived, my parents and I moved when I was 15 years old. Uh, we moved to Northern Idaho um, where we lived uh, with no electricity and no running water and built a log cabin from hand um, by hand. Um, you know, we uh, cut the trees down in the forest and peeled them um, and notched them and lifted them up and built walls <laughs> and we had a red hand pump uh you know where we got our water um and uh it was we lived out there for two years um and so i have one foot really firmly in this sort of world of tradition um which you know is related to the manual doing of things um and i love the manual doing of things and we also live in this contemporary world where technology is moving at this like rocket pace um and um and it's exciting and fun um and so i like to embrace both 
the manual uh, traditional world and the technological world. To answer your question about when I got started in technology, um, in uh, I had a company in Austin um, for a long time called um, the Blue Genie Art Industries. Oh, right. um, this was a fabrication company. We made murals and sculptures. Um, if you go to Austin and you go to the Bob Bullock Texas State History Museum, um, there are six bas-relief panels on the front of that. Now you know what bas-relief is. Yeah. <laughs> um, that are on the front of that building, each one of those is 11 feet tall and 17 feet wide and in cast concrete. Um, you know, my team um, fabricated those. I'll go in there next month. I can check it out. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, yeah they're cool. Um, they're they're real iconic Texas scenes that are on the front of the... There's the big star. We didn't make the big star, but on the building, the big flower reliefs that are up there, we made those. Um, and those were uh, designed by a sculptor, a good friend of mine, Michael. O'Brien, um, and he asked us to, to help fabricate them. Um, and so we were doing things manually for a long time. Um, and then um, I got I got interested. I learned about 3D scanning and CNC machining. Um, and I started learning learning more. And, and um, you know, we did a job and got a pile of money and, you know, sort of said, well, here's, here we are at a crossroads, you know, what are we going to do with this pile of money? Um, and we decided to make the investment. Um, we went up to Canada, um, and where the machine that we bought at the time was being made. It was very expensive, um, incredibly expensive. This was probably 2004. Um, so it was early days. My perception was that it was early days of 3D scanning and CNC machining um, being accessible to artists. Um, you know, there were obviously aerospace and a lot of industries were already using this technology and it was old hat for them. Um, but for artists, um, this was this was pretty new. Um, and so I wanted to get on the forefront of that. Um, and so that's how I got um, started in it is we took our giant pile of money and gave it to these Canadians and they gave us a, a CNC machine um, and, a, and a 3D scanner. And in 2004, that 3D scanner, the way that thing worked is that gantry that I described, um, it had a gantry also. Um, and on it, instead of a cutting head, on it was this box and a laser, a single point of laser went out of this box uh, and it also had two cameras. That yeah, all I remember is lasers when I think of like the wooden that's like cutting with a laser, like cutting into wood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, good. but the gantry is different. Well, it's just the gantry is just a mechanical system right. that moves the thing around. So this laser, instead of cutting, it was about reading depth. Oh, it I was see. a scanner. Um, but then to scan, I scanned Kinky Friedman's hat once for the kinky Friedman for governor campaign mm -hmm. um and it took 12 hours for me to scan his cowboy hat because it's just a, a pixel point of laser yeah yeah um and now you know i can scan something the size of a cowboy hat in you know a couple minutes well i was gonna ask when you first got that technology and you got that you spent that pile of money and you got your first machine how big could you go because you were making these big these big sculptures. And obviously you were saying this is taking some time. So how big could you go with it? There's no limit really. really? No, there's no limit. I mean, it, because you just slice things up into pieces that fit on the machine and then you put them back together. And so you're limited by the size of your building, you know, or how, you know, how tall the roof is. Um, but you know, okay. you can make gigantic things. Um, you just make them, you know, 
puzzle pieces, piece them together. That's a really cool. Yeah. Gosh, I'm so interested in this process now because I need to go YouTube like videos of it happening. <laughs> I've seen the, I know like I can see it in my head cause I've seen those videos of like it cutting out and then it goes back and does more detail. Yeah. We got to pull up one of those videos for this, yeah. for this episode. Gosh, cool. I was just going to ask, uh, do you dabble in other mediums other than with the the machine? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've made a bazillion rubber molds. Um, I, yep, I work in wood a lot. I work in clay. Um, yeah, I work in all kinds of mediums. My current um, foray is into bronze casting. Oh, fun. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think it's just time. You know, I've, I've done, I've been in sculpture for a long time and I've worked in all these different mediums and I'm like, okay, it's time for me to learn how to make things in bronze. Um, so I'm working on that uh, currently. That cool. Is that cool. the next series? Yeah. Next. Ooh. What are the cool. images going to, what are the sculptures going to be of? Um, well, it's, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll probably start with some figurative sculptures. I have some new figures that I really like and I'm excited about, and I'm hoping to cast those in bronze. Um, but the thing about bronze is it doesn't really matter, right? It's just another tool in the toolbox. I have a feeling some, some really cool Lone Rangers could come out of some bronze. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just with that. Think about it. Yep. Okay. Anyway. All right. <laughs> well, is there anything else you would like to add or to end it off? Oh gosh. Not that I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. This was fun. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Yeah. The, Felice and I are really excited to be here. The Peacemakers will be in Gallery Verde on display from July 20th through October 8th. And then the Trailheads... Mm -hmm. The trailheads will be in the Coop Gallery. Same dates? Yep. <laughs> Same dates. <laughs> July 20th. Definitely come October and check 8th. these out. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Awesome.